We are back, and we want to stress that this is a community-based radio program, something we've proved um, many times by having the neighbors come on and talk about issues. And today, we will do likewise. Ellen Cochran is one of my neighbors in East Sacramento, and I've become acquainted with her through her work for the East Sacramento Preservation Neighborhood Association. We've talked about some of their work and some of their writings on this show in the past, and we want to talk to Ellen today about what the group has done and what she personally is doing. So I'd like to say welcome to Radio Parallax, Ellen Cochran. Pleasure to be here, Doug. Now, Ellen, you, I, I've got some of your materials here related to you personally, and you are a Sacramento native, going uh, and attended Sacramento High and City College here. That's right. I even attended David Lubin and Sutter Middle School. <laughs> and relevant to our, uh, our radio program here, you are indeed a graduate of UC Davis. I am indeed. I have a degree in Russian. Yes, that was kind of my my next question here was, uh, it, it, it's noted that after you graduated, you went to work at the American Embassy in Moscow? Yes, I did. I was very pleased to be hired to go work at the American Embassy in Moscow, and I worked in the press and culture section. And this is in then the mid to late 80s? Yes, I was very fortunate to be there at the end of communism. I saw it shift from a communist country to the free market, for better or for worse. So when, when did you leave? I was there from 87 to 89. Oh, wow. I mean, it was 1990, the last year of the Soviet Union? I believe the wall fell in 1990, and the Soviet Union officially broke apart in 1991. But don't quote me on those exact dates. All right. Well, I'm sure that sounds like one very interesting posting. It was. Did you have any tales from that era you might be able to tell us? Well, I, I saw a journalist pulled off the street, thrown in a car and disappear. Saw him pounding on the back window as he was driven away. I went to pet markets that were called uh, bird markets on the street where people would bring and sell their pets just uh, impromptu. As pets? As pets. They had no pet stores. It was open air. People would just gather together and sell their pets. And I also saw the black market in action and met some black marketeers. Wow. Well, I see this may be a future installment of Radio Parallax to hear some of those tales, because that sounds quite interesting. It was. Uh, You returned to Sacramento in 1990 and became a teacher here in our public schools. Yes. And you've been teaching ever since. 17 years, uh, five years in high school, and the rest in middle school. All right. Well, what led you to join the East Sacramento Preservation Association? I saw the work that they did on the Mercy Hospital project, uh, drawing neighbors together to try to have a a rational opposition. Uh, It was not successful in changing the project significantly, but the changes that the neighborhood group did get, a slightly less tall building and some more uh, mitigations for the neighborhood, were very good. Uh, Working with that group, I decided to bring some... Uh, modern ideas in. I set up a blog for them, uh, interactive, and we drew in some very fine writers to do some work, uh, both uh, nostalgic pieces and hard-hitting neighborhood pieces, plus write-ups and uh, personal profiles. Very good. You first came to my attention when I attended some meetings that you were chairing regarding the, uh, the project that's so controversial, which will be voted upon next Tuesday in the Sacramento City Council. Uh, some call it, Mc- well, we call it McVillage. <laughs> well, you call it McVillage because of our vice president who coined the frame. That was Dave? The Dave Edwards. <laughs> well, it's, it's a good one, and it is, uh, I think that really summarizes it pretty well. Uh, it's been uh, touted 
by the developer Phil Angelides is something that will be very uh, an infill, smart growth kind of development. And your organization, a lot of neighbors like myself, have a hard time seeing it that way. Can you talk about that? Well, it's very disappointing because almost to a man and woman in our group, we are for in-growth, smart growth, infill. There's no reason to be against it. This is maybe the right project, but it's definitely in the wrong place. There are so many problems with the site itself and the harm that the future residents will face and for the current residents in the neighborhood. There are many problems, and I can start listing them, or you can ask me specifically. Well, we should, I think, just back up a second. Not everybody might be familiar with the exact site we're talking about, but they they surely have noticed it when you're going on uh, Business 80, through East Sacramento, and you're making that big turn to the right, right before you go over the bridge, over the American River. Off on your right-hand side there is a large, uh, what used to be orchard, open space there, and that's and that's the area that is bounded by the freeway you're on, and then there's a railroad uh, berm on the other side of it. It, it is an odd, it's in an odd place and hasn't been developed for years because of the access problems, I guess is where we should start. There is, there's no access to the freeway and, and poor access to any other neighborhood. There is no access to the freeway. There is one rather old, uh, slightly dilapidated bridge that goes from the site over to Sutter's Landing Park. But that uh, is the only actual access in. There's a road called Lanot, which is a small street in East Sacramento, which dissolves into gravel over the at-grade railroad crossing. But it's not an actual street on the project side. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the, the access at Lanat. That's not far from where I live, and I always thought that if they were going to put a development in there, they would logically go right over that street, over the top of the railroad, and down into whatever they were going to do. But I guess that's just caught in a crossfire between the railroad and the developer, and the developer bought the business park across the street. doesn't need that access, and I guess that's why they want to put a tunnel in. That seems to be the reason. Sacopolis is the landowner who is working with Angelides and who I understand does own most of that business park. This is anecdotal, but I think the person who owns the right side off of Lanot may not be wanting to sell the property, his or her property. But I don't really know. I do know that Sacopolis owns the land and owns the business park, and that's where the property comes from. And we should note there's a long-standing... Um business relationship between Phil Angelides, the developer of this proposed uh, project, and and Mr. Sakopoulos, who's the landowner. I don't know for sure, but I understand that's correct. Well, uh, there's a process that has to be gone through for any development like this, and, and this is no exception. There is a series of steps that the developer is following, and one of them is to come up with an environmental impact report. And one was created, but we've talked on this program numerous times about how that, that sounds good to people, an environmental impact report. Of course, you want one of those. But I think what people don't understand, perhaps, is that they are inevitably created and paid for by the developer. And, and in this case, of course, true. That, that's not uh, unusual. But usually when the reports are uh, produced, they fully cover and fully research every aspect that will be affected by the development. The residents in East Sacramento have been uh, disappointed by the types of testing and the types of uh, studies that have been done, specifically the traffic study. The traffic study was done in the summer and the children were in school and there was also a, a water project that was going on in, in this by the city and some of the neighborhoods were rerouted so they weren't tested at a time that really reflected the traffic on the streets 
Well, I guess that would explain why when I read the report and I saw that my street, which lies directly between the stoplight at the exit from the development and the closest public school, uh, would be increased by a total of eight eight car trips per day. <laughs> I was a little skeptical about that number. It's probably not accurate. I'm pretty sure, Ellen, you know more about the traffic study uh, than I do, and because and I, I, I know you guys had a lot of concerns about it. Can you explain what some of those were? One of the biggest concerns was uh, the somewhat outdated model that the industry uses to measure traffic. What it does basically is measure the level of service, and that measures how long a driver might be in their car at a stoplight. Uh, what really needs to be done, especially for fragile neighborhoods like this, is to measure the impact and effect on parents, children, schools. Will it be safe on the streets? How many cars will go by a house a day? What is it really going to do to the neighborhood to change the quality of life? Yeah, I mean, I'd be more concerned about the smog coming off the car than about how inconvenienced he is by sitting in the street. So I guess that's, that, that is certainly the wrong viewpoint in many respects. I think it is, and fortunately, uh, Steve Cohen has picked that up as an issue, and I believe that at council next week, he will bring it up and put it out there for discussion. Well, the development itself has come under a lot of criticism because of its sort of awkward position between the rail line and the uh, interstate, and uh, what did your group conclude about about the nature of, of the actual development? Well, before you talk about anything about this development, you have to talk about geography. It is placed between the freeway and a very active uh, railroad. The people who are going to live there are going to actually live in somewhat of a bowl. And the air pollution that comes through is going to be very harmful, but that's going to be combined with the diesel exhaust from the train. So it's not going to be a healthy living environment. Physicians for Social Responsibility actually wrote a letter of support for our group that is trying to have the project be mitigated or not be built, saying that uh, this is an unhealthy place to raise a family and to have people live. Yeah, I've heard Mr. Angelides talk about these wonderful high-tech air filters he's going to have on the houses, but uh, I guess the question is, what about when you step outdoors? Exactly. Our group actually wanted to know if uh, the uh, EIR or the draft EIR was accurate as far as the number of trains that go by every day by the uh, sure. development. So we did a 24-hour watch. Uh, we had several shifts of people sitting in cars watching the trains and counting them. There were more than 60 trains that went by the site in a 24-hour period. And the interesting thing was is that the oil tankers and the seemingly more dangerous cargo that went by, it went by at night. So you uh, don't really have a good idea about how many trains and what's going by unless you do that kind of watch. Well, Ellen, as a member of the neighborhood, I certainly have appreciated uh, all the work you've done and, and, and the ESPNA has done. And I want to note that, to, to my pleasant surprise, you apparently decided in the midst of all this that... Um, Maybe you ought to run for the city council seat that's currently being vacated, and you are, in fact, doing so. I am doing so, much to my own surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I decided to run during Sunshine Week, and I had not intended to be a candidate for city council, but I, I've learned a lot in the last year uh, working on this problem with the community. I, I really think that the person who was elected to go to city council needs to represent the neighborhoods. And not just East Sacramento, but South Natomas and the River District, too. Because this is the foundation of our government. And if we're not listened to, then we have a serious problem. Well, let's talk about our city council. There's a vote 
on Tuesday, and uh, well, I, I've heard a lot of different estimates of what's going to happen, most of which seem to think that it is going to pass. Some think that they may be passing with the provision that they have to look at the Alhambra Tunnel again. What, what do you see happening on Tuesday? I see that the project will probably pass. It's a, a sad thing to say, but everything that I've seen over the last year tells me that that will probably happen. Some neighbors are trying an 11th hour uh, compromise to have the Alhambra Tunnel, and I compliment them for trying anything. But at this point, I think that uh, Mr. Angelides has convinced most of the council to vote his way. Well, uh, let's assume that uh, you're right, and uh, Radio Parallax will be there covering this uh, at the city council meeting on Tuesday. What can be done at that point to perhaps get some mitigations that are that are desired in? Well, often when there are projects like this that are so contentious, some of the next steps are legal. There are possible. There's a possibility that some people in the neighborhood might. Uh, participate in a lawsuit against the project. And, and that's no mystery even to Mr. Angelides, I'm sure. Uh, our neighborhood group, East Sacramento Preservation, is, is not one of those groups. We are actually an educational group, and our whole purpose around this project was to bring the information to the people and help them have their voices heard. Mitigations uh, that are a part of the project when it is approved are interesting. Uh, in the Mercy Project, there were several mitigations that they had to uh, go forward with after it was approved. And it was possible to get the mitigations, and for the most part, uh, they have done most of them. Uh, but we've had to keep a very close eye on them. East Sacramento Preservation has attended most of the neighborhood action committees and watched Mercy and ha done intervention for the neighbors. The neighbors uh, specifically around Mercy have suffered a lot, and they continually look to our help to see if they can get their problem solved. Well, and I, I was unaware that you guys are still working with the good people over there. I think about that project when I drive by uh, Mercy, the Mercy site all the time. Because I do want to note that I have kind of a, well, not exactly a deep throat in the midst of, of all this world of developers, but, but information has been passed on to me that they're going to change this project once it's approved, and they're going to put more... Um, commercial things in to make it more viable. Is that something that neighbors can be watching uh, in, in terms of mitigations that they don't do things like that? That's an interesting question. And actually, that is one of the tenets of smart growth, to have retail little stores people can go to within a project so they don't drive so many trips in and out. So that actually might be something that's okay. What we have to be careful about is that they don't change the project in a way that puts uh, more density or moves traffic patterns in a different way through the neighborhood. When uh, Mr. Angelides gets this approved, if he gets it approved, we will have to watch this project very carefully. As I understand it, he probably won't stay long-term connected to this project, but it'll be sold and moved on to other people who will be managing the project. We have to keep together as neighbors and we have to keep our eyeballs on them because this project can change into something very different from what it is on paper today. Yes, the way it was explained to me was that there'd be more commercial put in, which would be surrounded by more high density, which would then buffer the, the houses. So I guess we will have to watch that. All right, well, in closing, Ellen, let's just talk about, you know, the fact that you are running for office here. And I would ask you what would separate you from the other people that are running. I think there are two main things that separate me. I am a hands-on candidate, and I've worked in the neighborhood, and I've rolled up my sleeves. This is what I want to do at city council. The other thing that I'm very concerned about is transparency in government, and I've proposed a clean vote act. It's a simple concept. If you are a council person and a project comes before you, 
that is proposed by someone who's contributed to your campaign, you have to recuse yourself from voting on that project. I was thinking about $1,000 as a level of contribution that would make it uh, necessary for you to recuse yourself, but it might be higher because every uh, municipality is different. They have this in uh, Modesto right now, and I believe it's 3,000, so Sacramento actually might run higher. But the idea is to have transparency and to make sure that our government officials aren't beholden to special interest. Well, that's certainly something we would support here on this program. Um, In in closing, Ellen, can you give us uh, some websites for both uh, ESP and, and your campaign? Sure. East Sacramento Preservation, uh, is at eastsacpreservation.org. It's a fun website, uh, especially if you live here in East Sacramento. My campaign site is cochranforcouncil.com, and I am a little bit different because if you go to most candidate sites, they have a lot of glossy pictures and not much substance. I've been working to post blog posts almost daily about my opinions on propositions and different hard fact, hard subject issues before the city. Well, Ellen Cochran, thank you so much for speaking with you. We wish you the best. I, I know that you're having some sort of campaign event tomorrow. I'm sure that people can, can find the information on, on your website. Yes, they can. And it's going to be fun in an art gallery, soft jazz, and wine and cheese. Well, I, and I hope you'll be back uh, sometime before the November election, perhaps to talk to us again. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you.